plants and fungi are sources of ancient knowledge, spiritual nourishment, and bodily sustenance. As primordial vestiges, natural forms are blueprints and points of genesis. This episode unravels the thought process behind the newest issue on object lesson space. How can a deeply rooted perspective resituate our understandings of these environments and cosmologies? Welcome to another episode of Mushroomed, a podcast hosted by the Singapore-based online platform Object Lessons Space. My name is Joella. I'm the founding editor of the platform and your host for this podcast. In this episode, we're going to be introducing you to our newest issue on Object Lessons Space. We publish new articles on our platform once every two months and this episode gives you the lowdown as to the thought processes behind each issue and how everything comes together. Our latest issue on object lesson space is titled On Old Growth. Old growth forests are also known as primary forests and they are both incredibly important and deeply significant. These are historical places that have seen cycle after cycle of birth and decay. This issue features a total of five artists whose works and practices have touched on notions of plant sentience, organicity, and indigenous botanical knowledge, and is now available online at www.objectlessons.space. In paying homage to the transition and transformation exemplified by old growth habitats, This episode will attempt to speak to the enduring concert between human and non-human beings. You'll hear from myself and from the artists we interviewed for this issue. On Kusu Island, off the coast of mainland Singapore, sits an old and large banyan tree. Every year, pilgrims travel to Kusu Island to pay their respects at three karamat, or shrines, and the Taoist temple there. It is a religiously syncretic site, and pilgrims who make the trip are of various faiths and beliefs. Where a karamat may be found, a large towering tree such as a banyan tree can often be found in its immediate vicinity. In the case of Kusu Island, a banyan tree lends its cool shade and a charrette presence to the shrine complex. The branches of the banyan tree are filled with strips of cloth, each containing a devoted pilgrim's prayers, hopes and wishes. One of the artists we interviewed for our latest issue on object lesson space is Lena Bui, and she sheds more light on how old, large trees can serve as a focal point for social life and the wider community in the context of Saigon. Lena lives and works in Saigon, Vietnam. Her practice is wide-ranging 
and some of her works articulate the impact of rapid development on our relationship with nature. At the centre of a recent project of hers is a large African mahogany tree in Saigon that was felled recently. So this uh, major road, one of the oldest in Saigon, like right in the center. Uh, so I grew up here, uh, and 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 then um, it's it's probably the most uh, planted, like uh, old road, like with rows of trees, like uh, two hundred something trees on just one road, and um, then they decide to chop everything down. And they did it so quickly that a lot of people also didn't realize what was going on. And uh, so, you know, going past this this street, uh, this road, um, a rather big street, and uh, seeing this happening, I, I was also just completely shocked. And then also, I was thinking about um, um, a very common belief here that we think uh, spirits reside in trees. Um, especially like hungry ghosts with no place to go, they they live in the tree, and it's just so. Uh, some some types of trees here, you will always see altars placed underneath, and this is this is just everywhere. And it, it's a form of belief that's a mixture of Taoism and Buddhism, and uh, I don't know local uh, concoction of. <laughs> so it's not organized really, uh, but. And I, I love that it's sort of living, you know. It's not um, so much uh, orchestrated, but it's like the spirits are there that people uh, still believe in them. African mahogany trees are not indigenous to Vietnam and are actually native to West Africa. Yet they have become commonplace in various cities around Southeast Asia. And if you look up the African mahogany tree on Wikipedia today, the main cover image is of a tree-lined avenue in Hanoi. Yet, in rapidly developing cities all around the world, trees such as these are often cut down to make way for roads, highways, and buildings. Beyond their cultural significance, Lena also spent time talking about how trees provide much-needed and well-appreciated shade for a host of other activities. In that road, actually, the pavements were very big. So there's a vibrant like life on the side of the road. There are like barbershops, you know, just some people with mirrors. But they've been doing it 30 years on the street at the same spot or something. And uh, I did, uh, when they chopped down the trees, I did um, like rubbings, physical rubbings of the stump uh, for like one month every day I was on the street and uh, lots of people stopped by and, and chat and uh, and locals also come out so um, you know it's beyond also the, um, the the belief the mythical aspect but I think there's also a lot of social life trees have captivated the imagination of various artists and Lena is not alone in her explorations about them. We'll soon be hearing from another artist who shares these interests. Jason Lim's repertoire of works encompass ceramics, photography, installations and performance art. 
he is also one of the artists we've interviewed for our latest issue on old growth. Before um, looking at Banyan Tree, I, I spent a lot of time walking um, in the back streets of in the city. And, and before that, I kind of just usually uh, very amazed by this plant that just cling on to the cracks of the wall. They are just growing from there, or you know, they, they are so they need so little soil, and this this kind of plant will just grow and takes over the walls or or even the architecture sometimes. And I got interested to find out what what this kind of plant is and um, how. Discovered that they are actually from the ficus uh, species. The basically are fig trees, but there are many different species to it. Um, and then, upon further research, I realized that the, the banyan tree is actually a, a specimen of the fig trees, and therefore I kind of used ban the banyan as the the main motive for this clay performance clay installation work. I've been doing in the last few years. Uh, what's, what's interesting for me about the, the ficus is that it's a, a very resilient plant and it's also quite a parasitic, has a very parasitic characteristic to it because it cling on to something else and later on it just takes over the host. Um, there's a strangling, there's a kind of banyan called a, a strangling ficus. They kind of cling on to a host tree and then they'll just totally strangle the host and at the end there will be like a hollow in the middle of the, 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 ban, the banyan tr uh, tree structure which is formerly occupied by the host tree. So uh, for me this is, um, it shows a lot the, about humanity in, in some sense, you know, the, the resilience of the humanity. But also at the same time, I feel that humanity is also quite parasitic, that we are kind of relying on each other for that kind of survival uh, instinct. Trees such as the banyan exist in communion with a host of other living beings, and we now move from the highest point of a natural habitat to look at what happens deep underground. There is so much more to forests and natural habitats than what is visible. It turns out that what was happening beneath the surface would redefine the way we understood these places. It was always very much doubted that trees in a forest could talk to or communicate with one another. That is until Suzanne Simard and her research turned these misconceptions on its head. Simard's research into forest ecologies was revolutionary. Her research showed how trees would share knowledge with one another. We just didn't understand their language yet. How trees pulled this off was through interspecies collaboration. When fungal webs and mycelial networks pair up with tree roots, mycorrhizal networks are formed. Through these mycorrhizal networks, trees share carbon, nutrients, water, hormones, and warnings with one another. Simard's research is proof of the fact that forests are more than just a collection of trees. They've also shown that trees and the fruiting bodies above ground are just the tip of the iceberg. We cannot come to a full cohesive picture 
of what happens within forest networks without a discussion of fungi. Shaifu Garibaldi is an artist whose practice is interested in fungi, moss, and lichen. Shaifu lives and works in Bandung, and being in the city has invigorated his enduring interest in nature and mycology. For the research or the observation, so like uh, the city of Bandung is like a place where it becomes, uh, you, know, you know, your your lab or your outdoor lab, you know. Bandung is very interesting, I think. It's like a, topologically, the city is under the Bandung Basin. It's like a, the large basin bowl which on the top is like a surrounded by the mountains. So the as environmentally, it's like the city filled with the various prone to the natural disaster. So it's just like a, we have like a, the water problems and then the trapped air pollution and also the volcanoes. So I think the experience of living and exploring the city and surrounding eventually shaped me my interest in the nature, as in the case of the in the mycology, like you said before. So when I know there is the rainy season or like a three days in the rainy in the Bandung, so I know it's the time for me to 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 going to the up to the mountain to looking for the you know the spot for the for the for the the fungus or the for the mushroom, it's easily for me to you know to observe from my from my place to just like a one hour, two hours going inside, going to the, in the forest, just like a, make a loss in the forest looking for the the mushroom things and something like that. There's a wonderfully interconnected or ecological perspective to the way Shaifu thinks about and moves through his city. He mentions foraging for mushrooms during the rainy season and these explorations have made their way into his own works as well. Shaifu's works often bring organic materials such as moss, orchids, and mycelium into the context of the art gallery. Working with them is always make me, you know, give me a surprise, you know, like you said before. So it's like a weekend plan of the final result of the works, but then because they are the creatures that move, they grow, they, they're very sensitive, and then we get the unexpected results. So at the first, like, uh, it's feeling, so I'm feeling become really uh, failed, you know, when they are not working or, or they are not growth according to the schedule or as it should be. But then, uh, but then it's give me like uh, the feeling of the acceptance, you know, because you, you're not fully, you cannot fully control them. Of course, because you're working with the, with the living organism and like this thing, the like the acceptance, the awareness about this, and then uh, also build my character in my uh, not just not just in, with the mushroom things, but also my work with the conventional things like my painting. Incorporating fungi and lichen into artworks might seem unconventional, but organic materials come in many forms. A material that many of us will find more familiar is clay. Clay is drawn from the earth and as a result of that, often bears characteristics of the land they come from, such as soil composition or mineral levels. Working with clay is something that artist Madhvi Subramanian is familiar with. As a ceramic artist based in Singapore, clay is at the heart of Madhvi's practice. 
she shares a deep affinity with Clay that she tells us about in our interview with her. I think clay is one of the most versatile materials we have on this planet. Uh, it's it like you said, it's very organic. It has a it has a malleability about it, and it it is responsive. And and for clay artists, people who are working with clay, we believe that we don't believe it's not so much a belief, but we can see it. It's evident in its structure that it has a memory. It has a memory and it also responds back to you. It has so you actually do develop a dialogue with this material as you keep working with it. And it's um, so when I say a me- when I say memory, I'm I'm honestly meaning a memory where you you lay a flat a slab of clay and you twist it in a certain way, and then you flatten it back and you go back, you go away and you come back and you see that slight twist has come back into the material because it remembers what had happened to it. So I, I just love these um, subtle aspects about clay that that constantly reminds me that it's a material that's very alive. It's very, it's not just sensuous and sexy and wonderful to work with, but it's responsive. And, uh, you know, again, as clay artists, we'll say, if you push clay too far, it's going to push right back. So you cannot really put your will, uh, force yourself onto it as much. You have to work with it. And these are some of the things that, you know, as I started working with, uh, with uh, clay and started learning about this, uh, you know, conceptually, spiritually, um, it connects me more and more with this material. This memory of natural materials, of things that are off the ground, is an important point. Being attuned to and in concert with our natural surroundings brings the artist Anna Mendieta's practice to mind. Anna Mendieta was an artist who worked across painting, sculpture, video, and performance. Her works were dazzling and often ritualistic, and she called them earth or body sculptures. Mendieta is perhaps best known for her Silhouetta series. In this series of works, Mendieta traced the outline or the silhouette of her body out with a variety of organic materials. Some of the materials included rocks, flowers, branches, leaves, gunpowder, and blood. About this series, she wrote, and I quote, I have been carrying out a dialogue between the landscape and the female body. I believe this has been a direct result of my having been torn from my homeland during my adolescence. I am overwhelmed by the feeling of having been cast from the womb. My art is the way I re-establish the bonds that unite me to the universe. It is a return to the maternal source." End quote. Mendieta moved from Cuba to the United States of America at a young age, and although the idea of place looms large in this series of works, the artist also touched on notions of feminism, spirituality, identity, and more. Mendieta's works are hard to place, and that in-betweenness is front and centre within this series, which contains more than 200 works. Her ability to sit with and within nature was the focal point of an essay by writer Rebecca Tamas. In this essay, Tamas writes about how Mendieta speaks the unspeakable, not by making it known, but by allowing it to speak through her. And I quote, Her art shows us that the natural world does not wait outside of us, 
but moves through the doors of our being, connecting and reforming what we are. Its sticky difference impossible to excise. Her work is the promise of a green flourishing, another way of sharing with, becoming with, the world of which we are a part. End quote. Although it seems counterintuitive, it is this imprecision that allows for a truthful telling and retelling. This communion with non-human entities and beings is something that artist Zai Tang explores in his work as well. Zai is known for his evocative works that sit at the intersections of sound, installation, animation, projection, and performance. During my interview with him, we spent some time speaking to the way in which the human is disproportionately centered through terms such as the Anthropocene and how art might gesture at possible alternatives to that. Of course, in thinking about what nature um, means, you know, and how, uh, how we understand this point in time, the term Anthropocene is, is important in, in understanding a sort of, you know, geological kind of um, situation of understanding, um, you know, this moment of, of mass extinction. But perhaps it falls short of like, uh, where do we understand the source of the problem being? So um, whilst I do think the onus is, is on us to understand and find means to tackle this this uh, kind of ecological crisis I, I think it it might also focus on the human aspect a bit too much whereas a term like uh, capitalism becomes very useful because um, in in the writings of um, Jason Moore and um, Raj Patel they speak about how really it's it's not because of humans that we we've arrived at this situation it's it's because of of capitalism um capitalism of course has has shaped nature um as as a from you know as a process of of capital accumulation um it's completely transformed the world and it's also divided up the world as well so in order to find a path towards uh, a more cohesive and equal future i think we need to find strategies to disrupt maybe even within ourselves the uh, kind of capitalist mindset which um, simply cannot sustain itself on this finite planet with its finite resources so considering listening in relation to this time um, as i tried to articulate before i think it's really uh, a gesture towards an other. Um, in this case of, of my work, at least, it's a gesture towards this other of, of you know, other than human creatures um, that we share this world with. And listening, I feel like it's a kind of possibility space of um, both connection and imagination too. And it's... Um, for me, it's kind of uh, a gentler gesture towards something that maybe can open up certain um, possibilities uh, towards creating more cohesive um, 
ecological realities. are rich, biodiverse habitats. Although this episode was not a direct discussion around forest ecologies, it was so clear to us that the complexity of these multi-layered spaces have seeped into the works and practices of contemporary artists today as frameworks, analogies, and points of reference. It is also important to note that all of the ideas this episode touches on have been known for a long time to indigenous communities around the world. This ancient wisdom is passed down from generation to generation, and we would do well to heed that knowledge when it comes to ecological stewardship and environmental restoration. If you enjoyed this deep dive into our latest issue, the full articles and the transcript of this episode can be found on our website at www. Dot object lessons dot space. We also have a presence on all the usual social media platforms, including Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you like our work, we do have a Patreon page that you can check out as well. Mushroomed is a podcast series hosted by Object Lessons Space and produced in collaboration with the wonderful people at Singapore Community Radio. Thank you so much for spending time with us today.